With heroes in London, New York, Jerusalem, and the secret bunker deep at the Lehigh in Wellington, this is Shire Network News for the week ending Saturday, September 24, 2005. Hi, I'm your host, Tom Payne. Welcome to the program, which is the official podcast of the Anglospheric group blog, SilentRunning.tv. And after that little technical glitch which led to our site vanishing down the memory hole without a trace, we're back. Murray is calling former Australian Labour Party leader Mark Latham obscene names. Windrider is admiring piloting skills. Captain Scarlet has promoted himself to Major, which kind of screws up that whole Jerry Anderson 1960s TV puppet show thing we had going with him. And I graduated from insulting the President of the Confederacy to the Mother of God. So everything's pretty much back to what passes for normality around here. Shortly, we'll have Lawrence Simon reporting from Houston, where he's currently clinging to a street light with both hands in what appears to be a horizontal position. Oh, that's right, I told him to do a Dan Rather and go and report on the hurricane which has hit the Texas coast. Ha, <laughs> my bad. And as usual, Andrew Ian Dodge checks in from London with the latest tally of arrests in what The Guardian insists is the so-called War on Terror. Remind me again, during the war, did we let Reichsender Hamburg broadcast on the BBC frequency? You know, I don't think we did. And as for our main feature in Shire Network News this week, we're here, we're Jewish, get used to it. Melbourne's Jewish youth take to the streets with a message of in-your-face, unashamed niceness. We stand for peace, motherhood, helping old ladies across the street and fluffy kittens, and we don't care who knows it, baby. I think that people need to feel like that people aren't against them, so they're not on the defensive, you know, and we're not against anyone, we're just expressing what we want, and... We want unity, we want peace, and we love Israel, and that's basically it. More on that public display of pro-Israel sentiment later in the program. (laughs) Outrageous, isn't it? What would be a law against that sort of thing? Well, if you live in New Zealand, and it turns out that Helen Clark is in fact still the Prime Minister, there probably will be. Yes, the ongoing siege of Helengrad is first up in Blog News. New Zealand went to the polls last Saturday to elect a new government. Who won? Uh, That may take a little time to answer. We're looking into it. Yes, the Shire appears to have come down firmly on the side of indecisiveness, plumping for... Uh, well, we're not actually going to be sure until the special votes are counted. Maybe not even after that. Neither Helen Clark's Labour Party nor Don Brash's National Party have enough seats to be the government in their own right, which means they'll have to grovel like dogs to smaller parties in an effort to stitch together some sort of Frankenstein's monster of a coalition. Right now, the smart money is on Labour, which may have to kowtow to the Greens. Three more years of obsessive anti-GE food mania to look forward to there, folks and a New Zealand government shackle to support from the Greens is likely to cling religiously to the Kyoto Agreement. Cost of the taxpayer $1 billion and rising. Say goodbye to that budget surplus, folks. Those are your tax dollars being crated up, labelled carbon credits from Kiwiland and shipped to Russia. Why? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, isn't it? Why? Yeah. Well, what else can we look forward to? Well, just the other day, Helen Clark announced that New Zealand is giving a million dollars to the Palestinians. That's a million dollars of taxpayer money. Why not just pile the cash in front of the beehive and set fire to it? At least you could toast marshmallows. I could point you to blogs which are worth reading on the election result, like NZ Pundit and Sir Humphreys, but quite frankly, everyone's a bit drained. There's a kind of an unofficial embargo in the Kiwi blogosphere about gloating or fixing blame until we're a bit more certain which of those two emotions we should be indulging in. 
Maybe things will be a bit clearer next week, in which case I'll try and interview David Farah of Kiwi Pundit. So, Dave, expect a call from me. In the meantime, it's deja vu all over again with New Zealand First Party leader Winston Peters once again being the kingmaker of New Zealand politics, just like in 1996. Anyone remember that seven weeks back then after a similarly indecisive vote when we had no government and the six o'clock news lead item always had Winston walking down a corridor in Parliament grinning like the Cheshire cat and muttering, no comment. Hmm, no government, eh? Maybe the Libertarians won. You thought Howard Dean was crazy? You thought General Wes Clark had mad staring eyes? You thought Dennis Kucinich commuted from his home on the planet Zarkon? You Americans with your piss-weak politicians. You want crazy? You want vengeful? You want political theatre so horrifying and so traumatic that senior figures of the main opposition party are publicly thanking the voters for putting the other party in power? Australia's got you beaten, Yankee. I don't care how many Cynthia McKinney's, Lyndon LaRouche's or Al Sharpton's you've got, we possess our very own Mark Mark Latham. Latham. Yes, the man chosen by the Australian Labour Party to lead it against John Howard's Liberal National Coalition last year has become a dangerously crazy political suicide bomber, publishing diaries in which he lashes out at virtually the entire ALP, with scathing put-downs of almost every single senior figure. Some of them are thinking of suing him. The stuff is so poisonous. You know how we bloggers are fond of calling our ideological opponents crazy? Well, in Mark Latham's case, that's, honest to God, that's not an exaggeration. My only real concern about this is that his attacks on his own party are peaking too soon. Ideally, he should have done this a few months out from the next election to do maximum damage. But if he's got this king-sized thirst for vengeance, he seems to... Maybe he can just hole up somewhere safe for the next few years with a phone and a fax machine, occasionally issuing press releases with some damning information about senior ALP figures. Like Brown on Resolution and the famous short story by C.S. Forrester, perhaps we can persuade Mark Latham to keep the ALP pinned down like a one-man political sniper for the duration. Whatever John Howard's paying Mark Latham to do this, he ought to double it. Best blog for brutal mockery of the ALP's Latham problem is, of course, Tim Blair. Also now featuring hot gossip about bisexual wives. Beat that with a stick, America. I've just been handed an urgent bulletin. Would anyone knowing the whereabouts of Cindy Sheehan please inform her that her 15 minutes of fame are now officially up? Thank you. We now return to our scheduled broadcast. The sinister global threat that is the Google empire has extended its tentacles once again, this time providing a search engine devoted exclusively to blogs, providing us with free services. Is there no end to their evil? The imaginatively named Google Blog Search... I think their creative team is going to get a bonus for that one, aims to include every blog which publishes a site feed, either RSS or Atom, and it says it's going to include all blogs, not just those on Blogger. Well, that's nice. However, seeing as this is Google we're talking about, the company whose news aggregator is famous for its uh, less-than-even-handed approach to Israel and Jews, a search for a tasty falafel recipe is likely to point you to www.deadpalestinianbabiesmurderedbyzionistgunships.com, 
and an inquiry about the price of a motel in the Munich area will provide you with a link to www.dachau. No, no Dachau around here, never heard of it. Here, have some bratwurst and shut up. <laughs> Okay, it's probably not a good idea for any right-leaning bloggers from democratic countries to visit Singapore. I mean, sure, they're a democracy. Every few years, regular as clockwork, people are allowed to show up at the polls and put votes for the People's Action Party in the ballot boxes. It's very democratic. Yeah, it's so democratic that last year, someone broke into the Prime Minister's residence and stole the results of this year's election. One thing I can tell you about Singapore, having lived there myself for a couple of years, a long time ago, is that the government is absolutely determined never to allow any racial tension whatsoever. They had bloody race riots all the time prior to independence, and Lee Kuan Yew made a command decision that they would cease, and so they did. The downside of this is that there are things you're just not allowed to say, probably not even think. Three Singaporean Chinese have been charged with sedition for writing anti-Muslim posts on the internet, including local blogger Benjamin Ko and Nicholas Lim, who made his comments in an online forum for dog lovers. Not the place you'd expect the thought police to be operating, but this is Singapore, a place where the local authorities think the problem with the Gestapo was that they were too laid back. It all started when a Singaporean Muslim woman wrote a letter to the Straits Times newspaper opposing the presence of dogs in taxis, suggesting they might drool on the seats or get them dirty with their paws. Singaporean dog lovers responded rather badly to this, and comments about Muslims and their attitude towards dogs began appearing. Things got heated. So naturally, the Singaporean government thought the best way to clear the air was to wade in like J. Edgar Hoover and charge people with sedition. In absolute fairness, I would say that Singapore has a delicate racial balance, and the older generation are very mindful of how it can all easily go up in flames, so perhaps the authorities are erring a bit on the side of caution. In the long run, though, free speech is the only way to address these issues openly and honestly. The day will come when truncheons alone can't enforce the government's will. A free society needs popular support, not just merely acquiescence. Is there no limit to the abjectness of the Church of England's response to Islamic terror? That's the question posed by Melanie Phillips in response to the bishop's call for a public act of repentance over the Iraq war. They want to do this in conjunction with senior Muslim figures, so one assumes this will be a case of the Church of England apologising to Islam for having had the temerity to remove a fascist regime and free millions of people from a bloodthirsty tyrant. How bad? Won't happen again. Sorry about that. Maybe the participants in this public act of repentance could be issued laminated cards with the words La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah printed on them in handy large type for everyone to read aloud. Maybe that might do it. Or perhaps they could offer some gesture of goodwill, like allowing minarets to be built at each corner of Canterbury Cathedral, like the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Or perhaps we could put up a memorial to the heroes of United Flight 93 in the shape of a giant Islamic crescent. <clears throat> well, if it's all the same God, really, as the trendy vicars keep assuring us, why not simply replace the word God in the Bible with Allah? And later on uh, in church services, we could place Jesus with Muhammad and the bishop's brains with mush. Oh, looks like they're already ahead of me on that one. 
Next week, we'll be talking to the man who ensures that all students at Anglican Theological Colleges get their backbones surgically removed prior to graduation. Well, that's enough blog news for this week. Let's cross now to our correspondent in the eye of the storm. Literally, Lawrence Simon is standing by in Houston with Hurricane Rita bearing down on him. Lawrence, what's happening now? You know, it's gotten dark, but you know what? The sun went down. <laughs> Duh. But really, uh, it's just a little bit of rain here, a little bit of winds. Uh, been watching the radar to see where the bands are, and we're about to get one. But really, it's been light up to this point. You know, nothing. You know, now, I don't know if you can hear it, but the winds are picking up a little. But it's, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Okay, now I heard a little bit of thunder. But really, it's been not much, but the whole big thing has been the evacuation. You were telling me uh, you, were, you were looking at the TV and there was something really large and orange bearing down on you. Oh, yeah. It, it was something big, nasty, ugly. And, you know, I people are saying, why did you stay? Well, th- there are many factors. One, I was prepared to leave. Uh, I had, you know, all the supplies and all that, all that packed. I had somewhere to go. Uh, I had a route to get there that wasn't going to get me through the worst of it. And I had a time that I was going to go so that it, w- it would not be jammed up. Uh, I waited for when they had the freeway set every way out of the city. You know, contraflow is what they call it, where the southbound lanes get changed to northbound lanes. But uh, they waited too long for that, and people ran out of gas. Their cars overheated. That blocked up the freeway. They had to get those out of the way. It stalled even more people. It was just a rolling, I guess you could say, crap rolls downhill. There was even a bus that exploded. Well, that's what they get for transporting uh, Hamas people. No, uh, actually, it looks like, uh, I guess the report was, you know, and and sorry if I'm making light of this situation, but I make light of everything. At my own funeral, I'll crack jokes. It looks like they were transporting these people, and they had oxygen tanks on with them and something sparked and went. And I think, wasn't it an Air Florida flight about 10, 15 years ago that blew and and, and splashed in the uh, Potomac because uh, they had unsecured oxygen tanks or something. It was either that for JetBlue or one of those crackpot airlines, and uh, they had unsecured oxygen tanks on it, and something sparked and it went. Let's get down to the really important issue. Um, How easy will it be for people to blame this on President Bush. Funny story. I walked out about 20 minutes ago, and there was a neighbor walking by, and we're both like, where is it? And I said, well, I guess this is a big practical joke. And the guy just whips out real fast. Oh, well, Bush is going to make millions off of this. <laughs> it's like, you know, some people are just going to find a way. Uh, they're going to say that he intentionally did this to panic, to look like a big Texas hero, uh, he wanted to move all the people out of town to get the blacks and Hispanics out of town. He wanted to get all the New Orleans people out of his daddy's hometown. I don't know what they're going to, how they're going to spend that, but, you know, they'll find a way. You know, they're going to say Halliburton is going to wind up getting the contract for widening the freeways now. They'll find a way. And God bless them for finding it, because as long as they're busy whipping out conspiracy theories, it keeps them out of power, and they don't screw up the country even more. So basically, Bush is in trouble for not acting fast and tough enough in New Orleans, but he's going to be in trouble for doing too much too early in Texas. First of all, agree, yes. Then uh, in New Orleans, uh, Ward 9, the Ninth Ward, just flooded again. They, they, the, the dike blew. Uh, I'm trying, still trying to figure out how Louis Farrakhan is going to say, 
that there was a big crater under it again. Speaking of which, Farrakhan was in town earlier talking up this Rita thing and talking to evacuees from uh, Katrina and all that, and he was mouthing off. You know, ooh, this and that, and, you know, Bush doesn't care about people and all that. And he made the the old blood libel of uh, there were rabbis dancing on the rooftops during 9-11. How's he going to spin this one so that me, the Jew, can stand here in the middle of Houston without the threat of black and Hispanic people trying to kill him? I don't know. People are going to try to bend this politically any way they could. But you know what? A few days ago, I was scared. I had my wife's SUV loaded up. And would I have gone out of town with her? Well, that's another issue. She works at a TV station. And you know how journalists with big J's are. They're kind of nuts. So she would have stayed in town, even with the flood surge coming, even with the huge winds, even with all of that, the story has to be covered. And that had me scared. That had me worried and concerned. But she said, you know, get the cats out of town. And and that's another issue why it didn't go. Um, with three cats, you know, I, I lost one this year, and I didn't want to lose the other three, you know, with them stressing out in the car, having to take 24 hours to go, you know, 90 miles. That would have killed them, and you know, we would have gotten nowhere. You know, I would have been alone in a car with three dead cats, you know, stuck on a freeway without gas and anywhere to stay, like everybody else. Sounds like a perfect recipe for humor blogging, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I've been poking fun at this, and I mean, yeah, a tragedy that's nearly averted. You laugh, and, you, you know, you hug life. And, you know, the funny part of all this is the the worst thing that I've had to deal with right now is everybody on the planet is instant messaging me and leaving comments. How are you doing? I'm praying for you. I'm worried for you. Write me back. Add me to this list that you've got on your site and all that. I'm just, you know, trying to keep up with that, and it doesn't give me any time to go outside and enjoy the feel of the wind and the rain in my face. I mean, I'm standing outside right now. It still kind of good. It's not going to remain this way. I'm not going to kid myself. It's going to get ugly. I mean, it's it's not going to be as blood ugly as it was going to be before. I mean, I'm not going to be beaten up by a U.S. Marine. I'm only going to be beaten up by, you know, the fifth grade bully, you know, being a little kid. You know, it's going to be less, but it's not going to be, you know, fun and game. Speaking of funny, you're a famously funny blogger. Is it Difficult or easy to find humor in this kind of situation? Can you be funny? Have you got any hurricane jokes already? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Be funny. <laughs> God, I, well, the first joke that I came up with was when I took my cat cams and I uh, put one on a UPS and pointed outside. When it was still Cat 5, I mean, I said, you know, I'm changing it from a cat cam uh, to a Category 5 cam. Okay, that's not very funny. I'll post things here and there, but... You know, be you know, you're you're putting me on the spot here. Be funny. You know, oh, that's a, that's a humor killer. I was kind of asking you if it's possible to be funny, but uh, um, I actually tossed you a freebie at the at the start of the interview when I said that you were watching TV and there was something large, ugly, and orange bearing down on you. That was your cue to say, "Oh yeah, that's Greta Van Susteren." <laughs> See, I, that's another thing. I have a, a slight memory problem, so I can't even remember. Uh, my own jokes. That's why other people write them down. And five years later, they tell me, man, you had a real funny one back then. It's like, wait, I said that? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, I can completely understand how Ronald Reagan completely forgot about selling weapons to Iranians. That was Lawrence Simon in Houston. He'll be back next week with his regular Full of Crap report, assuming his house hasn't been involuntarily relocated to Oklahoma, in which case he'll do the report as a musical. Okay, now to what, for me anyway, was the highlight of the week. 
Jewish youth movements in Australia's second biggest city, Melbourne, staged a walk up the main street during lunch hour on Thursday to demonstrate their commitment to peace, unity, Israel, being nicer to each other, fiscally responsible government spending. Basically, if you ask them what they weren't rebelling against, they'd have politely inquired, oh, what, what have you got, sir? It was very polite, but for a lot of us, just being out in public wearing blue and white and waving the Israeli flag was kind of liberating just by itself. Before the walk started, I spoke to some B'nai Kiva members, that's the Orthodox Religious Zionist Youth Movement, starting with Zach Berman. I'm here today for two reasons. First is to support Israel, show Israel, show, give a positive, Israel to, to, positive image of Israel to the streets, let a lot of people who don't know a lot about Israel see that there are people here who support Israel and that we're, we're peaceful people. And the second reason, obviously, is to demonstrate here for peace and it's kind of one and the same. To, it's a real positive image for Israel to show that we care about peace and it's something that we are care about and we're willing to go to the streets and be loud about it and let people know. Why? Is there some doubt about it? I think a lot of people have a, a very confused and they associate Israel with, uh, with a lot of negative assumptions, violence and, 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 a, and not, not a love for peace. I think that's a very big misconception. I think that... Um, that Israeli and Jews, Israelis and Jews in general are concerned about peace. That is something that's really important to us, and we have to let them know that's that's the way it is. Have you run into any problems being a Jew in Australia these days? Um, listen, it's it's more difficult to be a Jew in Australia than to be a uh, an Anglo-Saxon in Australia. I don't think anyone's going to doubt that. Um, but it's it's better than a lot of other places around the world. You get the occasional comments here and there. Usually, some might some might drive by and say something, but it's, it's not too bad. Okay. Well, here's a young fellow over here. Now, that's, a, that's what I call a knitted kippah. Yeah. Genuinely knitted. And you're wearing what appears to be a kakh t-shirt. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a joke on a kakh t-shirt. It says, Ahavachinam, baseless love. This is the one true halacha. Kakh koach ba'ava. I also own a kakh t-shirt, but I just like this. And I think this, it's like, you know, Ahavachinam, like, Ahavachinam, kamocha. I think that's what this is about, this rally. I think there is a lot of political divide. There's but uh, this rally is representing the whole wide spectrum, the broad spectrum of all Jewish youth groups, and I think that's fantastic. And like there was some divide with the um, the Gush Katif rally, and I think this this is this is a great thing to have. Like to have, I don't know if you want to call it healing, but it's definitely it's about Achdus Israel. Even if we're in the Galus, we're in the exile, but we're here. We're here to show solidarity with Israel and just march for peace and Eretz Israel. There's no doubt about that. You're also wearing a sticker below that says, Anitzi Oni, I am a Zionist. Yes. Does it take guts to, to do that in public in Australia these days? Uh, no, I, I, don't really think, I don't really think there's an issue. I think if you, if you feel it, you'll be proud for it, and you'll be happy to uh, express that. And I'm happy to walk around university campus with my kippah and my tzitzit out, uh, and these Hebrew t-shirts and uh, slogans like that, and that's, that's just who I am. And uh, here's a chap here wearing a uh, Tzahal t-shirt, uh, very, very obviously out and proud. Yeah, I think the Israeli army is probably the most humane army in the world um, in the way it dealt with the uh, withdrawal from Gaza. In particular, it, uh, any other country probably would not have been so uh, shown so much restraint in the army and the police force. Which uh, youth movement are you with? Uh, with Orges, Australasian Union of Jewish Students. Okay. Do you have much... Uh, problem uh, Jewish students on campus? Is there uh, much of a problem being Jewish? There is at some universities around Australia where we do get uh, a lot of resistance from the uh, leftist groups um, in particular. 
Um, there are a few universities where there are a large uh, number of Muslims. Um, occasionally we get trouble from them, but um, not very often, not as much as uh, in the United States. And what's, what's the point of this march from your perspective? To show that uh, Israel is, uh, wants peace and Jews want peace all around the world, um, that we're not an oppressive nation, that we don't oppress other people, and that we just want peaceful resolution to a conflict that's been going for 57 years. Yeah, you're one of the organisers of this march. Can you tell me how the idea first came about? I just think that there was a lot of, um, previously with, in Israel, there was a lot of um, people who, like, I don't know, do you know about Gush Katir? Okay, so there were a lot. There was a lot of disunity, you know, the orange-blue thing, and people in Melbourne were expressing that in their own rallies, and it was kind of getting a bit heated. And I think people wanted to come together and just show that everyone can be different, but in the end, if we unite with our differences, then it's kind of stronger than being, you know, factions of you know one group and separated. Now you've deliberately called this a walk, not a march or a rally. There was a reason for that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. This there was a reason because. Rally kind of has this feeling of, you know, being hostile and rampant and very kind of 1984-ish. So, no, we didn't want to get that going. Aren't, aren't there some people like me who wouldn't mind having something like that, perhaps? I'm sure you would like to have something like that, but, and, you know, maybe, I don't think it does anything. I think that people need to feel like that people aren't against them so they're not on the defensive you know and we're not against anyone we're just expressing what we want and we want unity we want peace and we love Israel and that's basically it now you've got a lot of the youth movements cooperating here left right and, and center <laughs> all of them yeah well isn't that the point we all unite under the ZYC, which is the Zionist Youth Council, anyway. Why shouldn't we unite for this? It's not like... People can have their own ideologies. That's what we want. We want people to have their own ideas. We're not saying that everyone should think the same, by no means. But in the end, we all have to come together if we want to support what we believe in, if we want to move forward, if we want to do anything. Everyone has to cooperate. I mean, we all know what happens when people don't cooperate. <laughs> plenty of spirit to go around. Also attending the walk were a few older members of the Jewish community who work in Melbourne's central business district. One fellow with a foot in both camps is Nadab Schlesinger, who currently works full-time for the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council, but last year was the political affairs director of Orgis, the Australasian Union of Jewish Students. Uh, full disclosure, I myself have been a member of Orgis when I was active in the Jewish Student Society at Victoria University of Wellington, New Zealand. Nadab says some of the younger Jews in Australia feel under a certain amount of pressure over Israel and they want to let off a little steam. Um, well, I think it's an important cause to come out and, um, and support this cause, um, Israel and peace, um, as the name suggests, uh, peace in the streets. Um, and, uh, well, re couldn't really think of a good reason not to turn out, so... You've actually been involved in Orgis, the, the Jewish student body last year. You were national political director. What's Jewish life like on campus for Jewish students these days in Australia? It is tough at times. I think it depends on... Um, it really does depend on how the situation is going in Israel at the time um, and also on the campus you're on. I was personally at Melbourne University. 
Um, don't think it's the worst campus for Jewish students. I also don't think it's the best. Um, but, uh, but from memory, the worst experiences came around 2002 when the conflict... That was my first year at university, actually, and the conflict was um, probably at its worst then. What um, kind of things happen? People say bad things happen, but no one ever goes into details. Look, it depends which source it comes from as well. It comes from, uh, comes from various sources. Um, some universities, you have particularly bad lecturers who, uh, who are up there in classes, um, uh, you know, putting forward uh, anti-Israel propaganda, um, which, uh, uh, you know, I think that you can see the inconsistencies in their argument. Um, I personally had one or two lecturers like that. Not all of them were bad. Um, uh, on the subjects, obviously, that um, uh, where they could mention Israel anyway. Um, it also comes from the student population. There are some, you know, you have your extremist groups on campuses, your socialist alternatives, resistance, um, etc., groups like that, and uh, they can often come out with pretty nasty stuff. But as I said, it, it depends on uh, what's happening in Israel at the time. Often you'll have um, periods of calm where nothing gets mentioned. Um, but then at other times you uh, you really have them putting Israel up uh, even above uh, you know the Bush administration and the Howard government is their number one issue and they'll um, whether it's rallies on campus or uh, urging other students to sign up for the anti-Israel cause um, you know we do have to deal with that stuff on uh, on really most campuses around Australia. And now let's cross to Andrew Ian Dodge in London, where in a shock development which has stunned experts, the Bush administration's secret weather control device is causing it to rain. Good afternoon from London. As you can probably hear in the background, it's raining, but then again, we're in London. But it's raining fairly heavily. Obviously, mines are concentrated on the Gulf Coast yet again for another big hurricane. Here in London, we've had a few interesting developments. First of all, up in Manchester, they had a security alert this morning where they uh, tasered some bloke of Asian appearance, as they like to say, and they blew up his bag. It's not quite sure what was going on there, but needless to say, there is some concern how the hell this guy ended up on the pavement right next to airplanes before he was caught. Another thing we have is a bloke called Andrew Rowe, as is typical with a lot of lunatics in this country. He's um, as an Islamist convert, and they found him with all kinds of wonderful stuff. And if you want a good laugh, read his explanation why he um, <coughs> had various terrorist items in his bag, including a code book. Now, the 721 uh, runner, coward, depending on the way you want to look at it, who was caught in Italy, is finally back in London. He's on remand, and he's now safely in a British prison, rather than an Italian one. And we've had uh, some interesting revelations from the wife of one of the 7-7 bombers. As she described him sneaking downstairs, kissing the kid goodbye, leaving and blowing himself up the next day. She said... Um, that he's entirely responsible for his actions. However, she and her family are victims as well, and obviously he was warped into doing this because he would never thought of doing such a thing by himself. So she said, it's all his own actions, but someone else is to blame, as is typical. And finally, if one wants some entertainment, uh, read about the Lib Dem conference. Lib Dems were up in Blackpool a uh, week, and they were uh, having one of those interesting things that occasionally happens in politics, 
Well, the Lib Dems are a combination of the Social Democrats and the Liberals. And there have been some moves by some Liberals who are sick of being dragged to the left to turn them into more a 19th century Liberal Party. Well, anyway, they bombed. They were defeated handily on every single one of the re resolutions. And so it lo it's looking pretty dire for the Libertarian parts of the liber Liberal Party. But it was fun to watch. And if you have the stomach for it, you can uh, enjoy watching Charles Kennedy give his, give his uh, conference speech on Thursday, where he bragged about being against the war and everything else. It was a pathetic performance, and uh, most commentators who know what they're talking about think the Liberal Democrats had an awful conference. They should have been celebrating. Instead, they were going, what a loser we have as a leader. Anyway, that's all the news I have. Um, as I said, everybody's distracted by the various events in Iraq and in, in, the, in the Gulf Coast. And then again, we have the Germans who can't make up their mind uh, who's going to lead them. And in New Zealand, you have the same problem. Cry Freedom is coming along. The EP should be uh, at least get to CD Baby in the next couple of weeks. I'm learning quite a bit about the digital method and digital revolution in music. And uh, so much so that I'm being asked to advise various people. And I might actually be paid for it, amazingly enough. Um, so I will obviously let SNN listeners know when Cry Freedom EP Rough and Ready is out. So with that, I end from London. Please read me at andreandodge.com, libertycadre.net, and read about the band on disgracefulmusic.com. And good afternoon from London. Thanks, Andrew. Remember, when you're a rock god with your own country estate and Gulfstream jet, I get to handle media relations for you. I've always been good with Dobermans. That's it from Shire Network News, the official podcast of silentrunning.tv. Remember, if you go to the blog and check out the entry containing this week's podcast, you can find links to all the sites mentioned in this week's show. I'm Tom Payne. Until next week, may your God go with you. I'll leave you now with a little something for the lovers out there. Strangers on my flight Turbans they're packing Wondering if they might Plan a hijacking They could pull a stunt Before this flight is through Sing it, Frankie. Something's on their minds I saw them mutter What's that in their hands? Looks like box cutters. I'm gonna kick some ass if they make a move. Strangers on my flight, two smelly people, and they're not talking right. And in a moment, I will grab a baseball bat. And that will be that Swing like Joe DiMaggio And rip them both a new a-hole And if they pick a fight And try to screw us I'll punch out their lights Just like Joe Lewis It would feel so right For strangers on my flight Yeah! Bada bing bang boom Zuma zuma zoom Send those bastards to the moon <laughs> I like that I song. Love song Isn't that great? Beautiful